get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. Today in Strap On Your Boots, I have a guest with me is a wildly entertaining storyteller, author, and actor, Tyler Foley. Thanks for joining the show, man. I appreciate it. Oh, Jay, I, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Awesome. It's going to be fun because uh, apparently you've, you've acted in a lot of things that I've seen. Uh, one of them, notable, yeah. Freddy versus Jason, right? Freddy versus Jason, right? So when I, when I saw that, I'm like, that is like one of the ultimate movies because Freddy versus, you know, Freddy Krueger obviously is like this cult classic Jason, Friday the 13th cult classic. But having them both come together for a lot of us fanboys, that was a big deal. So what was it like working on that film? I just, I want to know that off the top of your head. It was a dream come true. And I mean, and what's great is, as you'd mentioned, you've seen the movie and you're like, I don't recognize you at all, Tyler. It's because I am literally a flash right at the end when they're at Crystal Lake and I play the camp counselor who morphs into Freddy Krueger and getting to meet Robert Eglund and, and just be involved in that production. Like all of that. I remember sitting in the trailer with him, getting his makeup on going. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool you got to meet him. I also noticed you were in True Calling, which uh, was also a really uh, good show that I liked. Eliza Dushka was in it, and I love that show. I, I don't know why it got canceled, but, of course, every good show gets canceled. So rather than, like, saying what was it like working on the show, wh what do you feel about when a show that you're on gets canceled or a show that you like gets canceled? You know, what's that like, man? It's it's devastating. And what I love with the this day and age is that, there's actually a little bit more ability for fans to be like, hey, to come back, right? Like, look at what happened with Firefly or even Family Guy. I mean, Family Guy got canceled like three times and keeps coming back and, and reliving itself. But yeah, no, I loved True Calling. I thought it was an amazing show, like just from a fan. Right. Um, and again, it was, that was one of those things where I was a day player. Like you don't even, you barely see me. I drop off my girlfriend and she gets killed. Like that's, that, that was my whole role in the, in the episode. I think it was episode three or four. And, um, but it was, yeah, I, I'm like, why, why can't we keep good art on the, on the you know, show? And why and, do some of these things stay as long as they do? That's the other side of it. Right. And you brought up a good point. Like the expanse is another show that got canceled, but then Amazon saw the fan kind of, uh, you know, uproar and they picked it up. Right. So like Amazon was smart about picking up that show and a lot of other shows that happens, right. A network will drop it. Netflix, like Lucifer, right. Lucifer got picked up. So that seems to be the new trend is like, if you networks out there dropping shows, the streamers are going to pick it up. So, you know, watch it, but let's go back in time for a minute. When you first realized that you wanted to be an actor or you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you realized that you had it in your DNA, what was that moment? Well, so two questions in there. The first one, when did I discover I was an actor? I've been an actor all my life. And uh, I was blessed to be, have my first stage appearance at six years old. But that's, uh, that's because I had really good parents and supportive family and friends who, who recognized in me that this was a thing that I needed to do. I was born an actor. And, and I think, Frank, because of that experience, I was born an entrepreneur. Like I didn't just, I, I had the conscious recognition later in life to become an entrepreneur about 30 years old. I was like, I'm tired of working for people. I want to work for myself. I, I'm just as smart, if not smarter than half of the bosses that I've had, you know, and so I've worked for some great men. So let me ask you a question. Uh, the first time you mentioned you were working with bosses, you were working and you had jobs, right? Was there a moment when you had an idea for something 
while you were in that industry that you said to yourself, oh yeah, I don't want to work for these people anymore. I want to do this instead. Was there something like that hit you, like a business idea? Uh, yeah. Um, when I started InView Solutions, uh, the, I, we were doing mobile mapping. Uh, so uh, very quickly, we were taking pictures of the ground and then laser scanning it and creating fancy maps. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you can do this on the inside of buildings just as easily as you could on the outside of buildings. And I, you know, my wife is in uh, home construction and, and architecture. And I was like, I, I, I'm thinking realtors and builders could really use this technology. And, uh, and Wait, so what, year, up, what year was that? That was 2010. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of ahead, I was, of, the I was I was kind of ahead, of, the ahead of the curve. Yeah. I was gonna oh say. yeah. Yeah. I was, a, I was an uh, early inventor and, but there wasn't a lot of adaptation because at that point um, the technology was just so expensive that the barrier to entry was <laughs> astronomical. Right. And, but now I laugh every time I see a Google ad that is targeted to me and I'm like, that's my cart for a thousandth of the price of what I had to invent. Happens every time. It's good validation though, that you had a good idea before anybody else did. It's happened to me many, many times. Now, when you transitioned from regular jobs to, you know, whether it was acting full-time or a, an entrepreneurship a startup, you know, that you had full-time, what was the main challenge that you had from that transition? Uh, keeping myself accountable. So when, I mean, I've been self-employed most of my life because at six years old, I mean, that was my job from six to 17, the only, my only source of income. And, and I mean, I had a couple of side jobs as a, as a teenager, you know, I delivered pizza, worked for an art gallery. I even tuned pianos for a while, but, um, it sounds like you were an actor. <laughs> it sounds like I was an actor, right? Like, so you're an actor, so what pizza, else do you do? Yeah, tuning pianos. I mean, yeah. that's what actors do, right? They, it, it's exactly they what figure we figure it out. And, uh, and so, no, I was, you know, I've had, I've had a, I feel like uh, Mike Myers in Wayne's World had a lot of Joe jobs, nothing I'd call a career. And uh, they, but they've all led to, to me being me. And I'm thankful for each one of those experiences, but I feel like I've uh, lived a thousand lifetimes. And, but I, I just know that when I'm doing my own thing, when I can set my own schedule, I feel the most free. I feel the most validated. And I feel like I'm doing the most service to the world. The problem is, is keeping myself accountable because I don't, I am responsible to me and only me. The nice thing is, is my business has grown enough that now I'm actually responsible for a team. So if I don't give direction or if I don't show up, uh, sometimes the wheels fall off. But I've also built it to the point and surrounded myself with people. <laughs> it's a pretty self-perpetual machine. Like I don't have a lot of input in it anymore. Right. So now my you, biggest and, problem is being accountable to myself. And now you get some kickback. If, if it's not happening the right way, you start to see, like you said, Humpty Dumpty's falling apart and you got to put it back together again. So... So let's say, um, you know, you're, you're, you're outside walking your dog or you're, or you're at the park or whatever. And Doc Brown shows up in the DeLorean time machine and says, Hey, I can take you anywhere you want to go in time to fix the biggest mistake you ever made. What is that mistake? And how would you fix it? Uh, well, the biggest mistake I ever made was not having the proper director's insurance in place when I created Indie Solutions, but I wouldn't fix it. I wouldn't fix it because I needed the lessons that I learned from the collapse of that business. And that was only one part of it. So what was the um, big, what was the biggest lesson you learned? Like the number one lesson you learned from that mistake? Well, the number one 
lesson that I learned from the business was you need to surround yourself with people who are aligned with your vision and uh, be the stupidest person in the room. And like I, I surround myself with smart people and I'm, I am not afraid to say that my team does things way better than I am. That I, the business runs without me, but my business doesn't run without them. And I think that's a testament to the team that I've put together. And that was a definite lesson that I learned that I need to surround myself with people who are experts in their fields so that I can be an expert in my field. Um, the biggest lesson that I learned from not having the right director's insurance is that everything can disappear in a blink of an eye. And if you're not prepared for the worst case scenario, uh, it will happen. And uh, that's, you know, that I am always, I'm always looking for what the contingency is now. That's awesome. And, and while you were, acting for those, you know, that decade or more and running this startup and whatnot along the way, you must've had some mentors or people who you asked for advice and feedback. And of course, you know, getting a crucial piece, at least for me, when I was starting out, I had a crucial piece of advice that was to delegate more than taking everything on myself. Right. And, and if I didn't do that, I wasn't going to be able to scale my business. What piece of crucial advice were you given that totally changed the game for you? Um, to believe in myself. My uncle is an entrepreneur too. He ran a very successful multi-million dollar um, map making firm uh, in the 80s and 90s. And so when I took it on, he said, uh, you have to know the vision in your heart to be able to communicate it into reality. And he, he, what he meant by that is like, you have to believe in yourself. Like you have to know um, unwaveringly that this is the way to go because if you can't forge the path forward, nobody can follow you. And so you need to know what the end destination is because it, you come into some hairy obstacles. And if you don't have the conviction to keep punching forward, you're just going to stop. And at that point, you just, you backlog all the people behind you who are following you and they, they get lost. And I'm so, guessing, you, and I'm guessing like being an actor also played a hand in your confidence level, because from what I understand, I mean, I'm not an actor, I'm a director, but from what I understand from working with actors is you have to be a hundred percent confident that not only can you pull off the role, but that you're believable on screen, you know, your, your character comes across as a believable. So your confidence level, not only, you know, nailing the, the lines and, and the, the, the actors or the characters kind of persona, so I'm guessing that kind of, did that translate, did that kind of filter out into the world of entrepreneurship? It, it, it would seem to me like it would have, right? Yeah, no, it did. So a couple of things, it, it, it allowed me to take on the character of a leader, even when I didn't feel like I actually was. And then in doing that, I did then become the, the, the leader that I needed to be. I did have, a, I have a vibrato and a, and a sense of self-worth already. Because you have to, as an actor, I mean, you have to have a tough skin. And, and I learned a lot of lessons in performance too. Like I know that my talent isn't the reason I do or don't get a role. That it's a lot of about a fit for a team. Like, you know, you're a director, you are putting together a production and there are a lot of moving pieces in that. And the whole team has to fit or it doesn't work. And I translated that into how I uh, hired and, and grew my, my hiring process was weird. Like I would, make people do research on the company before I'd even entertain having them in for an interview. And like on the other side of the fence, uh, confidence is one thing, but what about fear? I mean, fear, unfortunately, is the number one emotion in the world. I mean, we, we, we like to say that love should be that emotion, but it's not, it's fear. So what's, what's it like, you know, living in that kind of, you know, since six years old, 
you know, being an actor, I mean, you must have been afraid at some point, like, am I going to get this role or am I going to get a paycheck? You know, should I give up? You know, did you ever think about giving up and, and what was that like, you know? Um, so I, I didn't really have a fear of acting. I had a fear of not acting. And I think that propelled me forward. Um, not doing it was terrifying to me until I was about 25. And at 25, I'd been in the business for 20 years. So I was like, I, I had become bored and complacent with it. So I actually, st- I, I retired from the business at 25 and didn't actually step back into it until a few years ago when it, when it, become, it had become fun again. It was, it, I had found the passion again for it. And a lot of that came from the fact that I had, I had built my life to a point where I wasn't worried about money. And so I had the freedom now to pursue passion. And so now when I go, and the funny thing is, is now because I'm freed from the, um, the financial burden of trying to book a role, and now it's just the creative joy of trying to book a role. I actually book more now because I show up and I don't care. <laughs> right. It, it's less about the money and more about the fun. And therefore you're not so desperate. Your desperation doesn't come across when you're auditioning where a lot of people might show up and like, I really need this role to pay the rent, you know, and, and you're not doing that, which is great. And so I guess that might be a way for people to look at not only entrepreneurship. I mean, it's something that I teach people all the time is don't think about the money you're going to make, no matter what business it is, whether you're acting or running a startup, if you're focused on, oh, I have a billion dollar idea, I'm going to get $100 million in funding, you're doing it wrong. Your first question should be, who can I help? How can I change the world? What pain point am I solving? And it sounds like, you know, you, you figured that out on your own over the years. And is that your way of paying it forward is by helping other people to understand the mentality that they need to have, the confidence level, um, the, the kind of the, the path they should be taking to success? Yes, actually. And it, it's exactly why I do what I do. Because I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a pretty guy with a bit of a confidence. You know what I mean? Like I just show up and, and, I, and I do me. And I don't feel that that one skill has the ability to really have an impact on the world. And I want to be able to say that I left the world in a better place then I found it. And the way that I do that is by helping other people, particularly small businesses. I really like helping um, small charities. So uh, the, my, my kind of wheelhouse in my niche is helping charity directors uh, be able to better convey their message so that they can find the funding and so that they can find the people who actually need their support. Because a lot of times these charities exist and the people who need their help don't even know that it's there to even get there. So I like working with, uh, with charity directors, particularly ones that are helping out, um, you know, women and, and children. My father passed away when I was six. So my mom wouldn't have been able to uh, raise me and my sister the way that she did if it weren't for the community that rallied around her. And so that's my way of giving back in a couple of different ways. Interesting. So you have like a personal kind of attachment to this industry because you saw how it affected you, you know, with your mom and your, and your sister. And, uh, it also sounds like it's a very much needed kind of unfor, you know, it's a forgotten industry, almost like charities. Sure. Everybody talks about giving the charity. I give the charity every year, but to personally jump in and help with branding, which it sounds like what you're, what you're kind of doing, you're tackling the branding aspect because that's a difficult aspect for charities to do because they think it's all about marketing, press releases, social media ads, but that's not really 
you know, what it comes down to. So that's cool that you're, you're jumping into that. Now, I, I do want to mention something that maybe you can help me with, right? Um, as we're sitting here talking, right? <laughs> we're literally doing our job, which is talking. And my voice is giving out on me because I've been talking a lot on podcasts. I'm narrating a documentary. I'm on the phone talking. I'm interviewing people and I'm drinking hot tea. I'm drinking water. I'm giving my voice a rest and I can't seem to get my voice back every day. So being that you're an actor, your job is to talk on camera. If you lose your voice, you lose your job. So how, how do you protect your instrument? And, and it's a great question. And I've been doing, you know, musicals on stage. I've been doing uh, film and TV. And, and the, the funny thing is, is you would think film and TV is actually easier, but you do the take over and over and over and over and over again. And a lot of times they're spraying the weird atmosphere smoke and you're like breathing in particulate and all the rest of that. It can, it can be quite uh, harrowing. And I, the technique that I use, I actually learned from Roger Love. And uh, if anybody doesn't know who Roger Love is, he, he helped, um, he's a vocal coach and he's helped like big speakers like Tony Robbins, but he also helps like the, the folks on the, uh, not the, the voice, right? So some of the, when they're training the people on the voice, they often bring Roger Love in and he helped, um, uh, oh, Bradley Cooper when Bradley Cooper needed to sing, uh, for a star is born. Roger Love actually got Bradley Cooper up in the movie. Had me crying, man. Oh, it's such a I was, I was ball, I had tissues. I was balling at the end of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I love all the versions of it. Like, I go back, I watch the Judy Garland one, and I'm yep. like, oh, right. Fantastic. This, this particular uh, version, uh, I found to just, it was phenomenal. But anyway, Roger said, um, you know, you should be breathing in. 90% of the time, your breath should come in through your nose. Mm-hmm. So if you actually see how I interact, right? I'm going to breathe primarily through my nose. So a lot of my projection is going to come here, but I also have a really good um, vocal control with my breath. So a lot of it's coming from the diaphragm. But when I breathe in, I'm going to breathe in through my nose and then I'm back out. It also gives me a chance to like pause and break and give you the opportunity to interject in. And then because I'm breathing in through my nose, it's actually um, moisturizing my vocal cords. When you breathe in through your mouth, dries the vocal cords. Right. And you can have all the water that you want and you're not going to do anything. It's not going to hydrate because all you're doing is evaporating off the water. Interesting. But take a break, breathe through your nose and that helps. And then learn to speak through the diaphragm. So um, a lot of times when we're talking a lot, we forget and we, we bring our vocal cords and our vocal projection up into our throat. And that's what's killing you. If you can take the power back, like if you can feel your chest vibrating when you're talking and you can be breathing through your diaphragm, particularly when you're doing the voiceover work and if you're doing that and it's easier when you're doing voiceover work, I, I do a lot of ADR. So I know exactly what you're talking about and breathe in through the nose and then edit out the little part. Right. And I bet you get through it a lot faster. Nice. I like those tips. Yeah. Cause there's only so much hot tea. It's going to help me uh, get rid of this uh, horse voice. Right. <laughs> well, and the funny thing is, is it actually is making it worse. Yeah. What the hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hot tea is, is likely adding to the inflammation. That's very bad news. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why did I drink that pot? Unbelievable. Uh, so speaking of breathing through my nose, which is something that I do a lot when I am either doing yoga or meditating, it's kind of part of that whole mental wellness thing. Uh, 
Physical and mental wellness are both very important pieces of being an entrepreneur. Anyone who says you have to work 80 hours a week and hustle, right, and don't sleep, just keep working, 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 are full of shit, and they should not be telling people that advice. Like people like Gary Vee, I feel as though you need to detach yourself. You need to take care of yourself. So what are some of the things that you do in between acting or running your business that helps you maintain physical and mental wellness? Well, so even just before you and I hopped on the call, I was out in my garden. So especially with the, with what I do, I spend a lot of time in my studio talking one-on-one onto the camera or one-on-many onto the camera when I'm doing training sessions. And I need to break because if I don't leave this environment, I I'm going to go squirrely. And particularly in this past year, I think people recognize, you know, we, when we're told that we have to isolate, <laughs> it becomes hard. But I don't think a lot of people recognize just how much they were already self-isolating. Um, and like this, uh, my life didn't change much when people told me I had to stay home because my, most of my, 90% of my work is done from, from the house when I'm not traveling. And so I just, I go out and I feel, just to feel sunshine on my face. And take, as you said, to take a moment and breathe. I mean, I, I do yoga myself. Uh, I, I don't work out. Like I'm not, I'm not a gym guy, but I will go for a walk or a bike ride. Um, in the winter, I, I, I plan days where I'm completely unplugged. I love to ski because you don't get cell reception or didn't for a long time on the mountains. And where I ski, you still don't get cell reception. I do a lot of backcountry skiing. So I like to be able to just walk away and unplug. And I think people really need to do that. Find the thing that brings you joy. You and I were talking about our love of music. I mean, at the end of the day, nothing feels better to me than to sit down on my drum kit for a half an hour and just get into a point where I'm, I'm literally Zen with the beat, you know, and I'm just, I'm running through rhythm and I'm doing, doing work and, and feeling the return of the sticks and just did it, did it, did it, did it. that's the same with me with the piano just sitting there just playing songs and feeling the keys and just forgetting about the world around me it's yeah. more people need to to pick up an instrument plus you know that's a good point is you know people are lazy let's just call it what it is people are lazy they say it's too late for me to learn something new whether it's a new language or a new instrument and that's come on it's not unless you're dead it's not too late. And the fact of the matter is doing all the things you mentioned, yoga, taking a walk, playing the drums, going in your garden, it's good for your brain. It's good. It's you're, you're working your brain. You're working your neurons. You're making yourself stronger and you're making yourself healthier. And I think people need to hear this. So hopefully they're listening to this advice. And I want to hear um, one last thing from you in terms of advice on maybe the top three things people can do to combat a stage fright or whether they're speaking in front of people or they're in front of cameras or they're on a, a theater stage, anything where they're in front of people and they're afraid they get too nervous and you know, anxiety kicks in. What are your top three tips? Uh, first one is to breathe. And if they need to know, like, like a lot of people are like, well, I breathe naturally. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. But like actual, like uh, specific breathing. So mm-hmm. I use a free app. I don't get paid for this. It's not a plug for anything, but you, know, you can search it, Prana Breath. And I think it's available on Apple and Google. It's free. And I just, I use those to uh, calm and to focus. And they have a great one called power. 
And when you need to feel energized, I mean, I, I breathe in that order. I do um, calm and then focus and then, um, and then do the power breath. And when I'm done with the power breath, I'm ready to take on the world. Nice. And so, you know, breathing, it, it naturally regulates our body. It instantaneously calms you. You can't do some of these breathing things and not feel calm. If you, if you do that, I just, you, it's impossible to do it. So if you need to calm down and focus, you, it's a lot of times it's centering yourself with breath work. The next part of that is when you're doing the breath work, now you have to tackle the mental game. Everybody who claims that they're afraid of public speaking is lying to themselves. So we need to destroy that story. You're not afraid of public speaking. And anybody who's like, no, 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 but I'm actually like legitimately afraid of public speaking. <laughs> I will ask them, when was the last time you went to a restaurant and ordered food? And further to that, did you know the waiter or waitress prior to ordering? Because if you didn't know your wait staff, if you went to a new restaurant and ordered food, not only did you speak in public and talk about something that you wanted and desired, but you also did it to a complete and total stranger. So don't tell me that you're afraid of public speaking. You're not. What people are afraid of is public judgment. And you weren't worried about what the waiter was thinking of your order, which is funny because as they were walking away, they were like, <laughs> I wouldn't order the chicken and waffles, but you do it, right? So they, you were getting judged. I promise you, you were. But you weren't worried about it. The problem is, is when we take the stage, we go, oh, what if they know? Yeah. What, if, what, if, what if I say or whatever the mindset? So what you need to do is focus on you. Know that if you were asked to present, you are the authority. They could have asked anybody else. And trust me, as an actor who has been chosen over other actors, and as an actor who hasn't been chosen over other actors, I know that it has nothing to do with me. When I am the right fit for the role, I get it. Right. Because I was the right fit. So if you've been asked to present, you were the right fit. They wouldn't have asked you if you weren't. So you have the authority. Take it back. Absolutely. And then the last thing, in conjunction with that, breathe. Know that you're the authority. And know that your audience is on your side. Nobody goes to a movie and sits in the theater and goes, God, I hope this thing sucks. <laughs> because like, what would be the point of spending all that money, right? <laughs> right. We go in wanting to be entertained or wanting to be informed or just wanting to have an escape from what we were doing. We're, we're there we we, because we want audience. to see you. We want to hear you. Or, or, you know, so exactly. So the what audience is on your side. Nobody has ever sat down and thought those things. And yet we, when we get up to perform or to speak or present, we're we go, oh man, what if yeah. they think that I suck? What if, they, what, what, what if, what if, what if, what if doesn't exist? It's all yeah. mental. So know that you're the authority, breathe, know that the audience is on your side and you will knock it out of the park every time. Those are great. And you know, what's funny is uh, in my book, in my course, I have a whole section on how to pitch and how to present in front of people. And those points are not in there. Breathing, breathing is one of them, but it's, but mine are completely different from those. So that's actually really cool to hear your side of it because it adds on to my points and it helps me, you know, realize there's a lot more out there on, on how to, how to speak in public. So there's probably going to be some actors watching or, or listening and, uh, and or entrepreneurs listening, and they're going to want to hear some final thoughts, words of wisdom from you, some inspiration and encouragement on how they can be an actor or how they can pursue their dreams as an entrepreneur. And I'd like to, you know, open it up to you to, to send it off to them. Well, I'm going to say two notes to that. First of all, if you think you want to be, you already are. And I think you need to change your language around it. I am an actor. I am an entrepreneur. 
I'm a speaker and I am an author. And I was all of those things before I ever first stepped on stage, before I ever started my business, before I ever published my first book. I was always those things. So you are an entrepreneur. You are an actor. If you are listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I would love to. No, you are. You just have to go out and do now. So it's the execution part that you have to jump on. And I know a lot of people think, uh, you know, if particularly entrepreneurial and, and, and into the arts, well, but my story doesn't matter or my work doesn't matter. It's not, it's not good enough. But it is good enough. You have an audience for it. Your story matters. Your passion, your reason for doing the thing. And don't be afraid of your story, particularly as an entrepreneur. You want to be a successful entrepreneur? You tell your story and why that product is important to you because that's how you're going to find your audience. That's great. Those would be my two bits of advice. I love it. That's such a good thing. It's all about confidence with you, man. And I think that, you know, I think we're, that's what people are going to take home from this, this, uh, this episode is that confidence is really the key in any aspect of your life. You know, believe in yourself, believe in what you do, put it out there and the universe will return it and times 10, right? Mm-hmm. So Dude, Tyler, thank you so much, man. This was a pleasure. It was fun. And I'm almost positive everybody who's listening or watching is learning a ton from this episode. Thanks again. Well, and Jay, if they did learn a lot from this, I would ask them to go one further. And that's to hit pause on this right now and give you a five-star review on whatever platform they're listening to. Because I know the amount of effort that you're putting in on the backside of this. Because I, I mean, just look at your setup. We, I know what you're doing, but I don't think your audience maybe knows or appreciates just how much effort you're putting in. So whoever's listening to this right now, pause it for a second, whatever platform you're listening to this, go and give Jason a five-star review so that he can grow his influence and help you better. Because if this show disappears, you don't get to listen to it. And it's the five-star reviews that keep it going. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing, if Jay is serving you in any way, do him the quick favor. It takes two seconds to hit pause on your device right now and go give it a five-star review. So if you could do me that favor, I would appreciate it. I appreciate it too. And, and you're absolutely right. <clears throat> People don't realize how difficult it is to run a podcast or a YouTube channel because of all the work that gets put into it. And um, if people want to check you out online and they want to see what you've done in the past or what you do currently, where, where, where would they look for you online? Best place to go is SeanTylerFoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N, just like Connery, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y, SeanTylerFoley.com. They can come there and get all the info on me. And any of your listeners who go, if they click on the banner that says The Method, it's a 11-page document, five insider secrets from my 35 years of acting and public speaking on how they can be more confident. It's a free download. And it will help them uh, take the stage a little bit more confidently and better. There you go, man. Everyone get more confidence from Sean. It sounds awesome. And this is a, this was, you know, this was fantastic. Once, once again, I hope you guys learn how to be more confident and pursue your dreams. And as always, we'll see everybody in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting Patreon.com slash Strap on Your Boots to become a member 
and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.